This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Granger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Thank you so much for joining us today for a conversation about sustainability, how that fits in with occupational safety and health, and how safety professionals can help their organizations become more sustainable. Joining me today to share their perspectives on that, I'm happy to welcome to the show Sally Smart and Travis Cruz of Granger. Sally is Manager of Customer Strategy Safety, and Travis is Senior Director, Safety and Sustainability Solutions Strategy. Sally, Travis, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, good to see you. Glad to be here today. Glad to be talking to you. Let's dive in. So to set the stage for the conversation, I thought we could talk about why there's been such you know, an increased focus in recent years on sustainability. So uh, Sally, if you can kind of kick us off and you talk about you know, why organizations are talking so much about sustainability. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I think another way to ask that question is why is sustainability important in business? So there's several sustainability business frameworks that are built around the idea that long-term success relies on healthy environmental and social systems. And these frameworks focus on optimizing strategy for the environment, society, and economic prosperity. In the past, that was referred to as the triple bottom line planet, people, and profits. So a sustainable business meets the needs of their customers. Consumers are looking to corporations and organizations to drive positive environmental and social change. More consumers are looking to support brands that advocate for those issues that they care about. They expect those companies to act against climate change and to, in some cases, they've stopped purchasing from companies that have shown disinterest in taking these steps. Studies show that consumers overall would spend more for products that have improved sustainability credentials. In 2020, 85% of investors considered environmental, social, and governance factors in their decisions. And that's according to a Gartner research report. Plus 91% of banks monitor the ESG performance of investments. And then according to a study that was done by Ernst Young, 74% of institutional investors are more likely to divest from companies with poor sustainability performance. So sustainability businesses attract and engage top talent also. So studies show that we're in the era of millennials and they are taking jobs because of company sustainability credentials. Uh, they're also, businesses are also integrating sustainability to improve overall operational efficiency and drive down costs. So lastly, reputation. A sustainable business has an improved reputation. So sustainability is a fundamental and critical business practice, and I believe it's here to stay. Sally, thanks for that. That was, that was spectacular, but also you know, we, we've learned some lessons since the pandemic, too. So uh, we get asked the question all the time. And Sally and I do a lot of desk research around this particular topic. You know, since the pandemic, we've learned a whole lot of lessons along the way. We had supply chain deficiencies. We had we over indexed in manufacturing. 
not enough diversification in your supply chain. Uh, we weren't prepared to work from home. We were all nimble and we were all able to make that happen. But what society learned as a whole is they didn't want that to happen again. They didn't want to be unprepared. So much of the research that we read about sustainability and why the sustainability ESG movement is here and, and why it's gotten so much attention as of late, it's because society doesn't want to be caught off guard again like they were with the pandemic. So it's really put a heightened focus on topics like sustainability, you know, climate change as well. Something you both touched on there, I kind of want to talk about this distinction a little bit, is, is ESG, that being uh, environmental, social, and governance. That's, you know, something else we're hearing a lot about these days. So Sally, I wonder if we could touch on that a little bit and talk about the difference between ESG and sustainability. Sure, Scott. So, well, here I'm going to go again. Before we talk about the differences, let's talk about how they're the same. So ESG, environmental, social, and governance, and sustainability are both strategic considerations. And they are both intended to achieve a cleaner, safer, and more sustainable world. From an ESG standpoint, it is built on an investment framework that brings together those three things, environmental, social, and governance factors. And then they prioritize and translate those factors into key strategies and goals that organizations can use to evaluate their current operating model and then any long-term resiliency that they're seeing. So it's very transparent, and it includes very specific metrics with measurable goals. Sustainability is the practice of operating, moving away from the idea of an investment framework. So it's a practice of operating in a way that meets the environmental, social, and economic needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. So there again, we have the planet, the people, the profit. So when organizations are sustainable, they're built to last. They're looking to the future and weighing decisions based on the impact down the road. And they are not sacrificing the planet in the name of profits. And they're recognizing that their employees are the most valuable asset that they have and that they have to keep them safe and healthy. And a lot of times people talk about ESG and sustainability, so they are intermixed a lot. But the idea is that ESG was built on an investment framework and sustainability is based on an operational framework. Okay, now taking the next step, uh, uh, at, at the top there, we talked about, you know, why organizations are bringing a greater focus on sustainability. So, uh, Travis, I wonder if we could uh, look at the, the how. When you look at, you know, how leading companies are thinking about sustainability uh, in this environment, what, what are you seeing? Yeah, so some of the things that Sally mentioned will fall into this category, but many organizations, especially leading companies, leading organizations are thinking of sustainability and ESG in a much broader sense. So it, it's very important when you're talking about sustainability with, with anyone that you get, get grounded in the terminology and the definition of what they mean, because it is such a broad term. It's almost like the word health. Oh, there's mental health, there's physical health, there's all kinds of things that fall within health. So with sustainability, Many organizations think about it from an environmental only perspective. They think green, but the reality is, as Sally indicated, environmental, social, and economic, it's the triple bottom line. It's been around a very long time. You may recall at one point in time, there was an acronym called corporate social responsibility. Well, that's now evolved into ESG, but make no mistake about it. The framework and standards that help drive uh, whatever acronym that we're referring to here, CSR, ESG, or the term sustainability, most organizations are looking at the Global Reporting Initiative, GRI, framework 
to help define that term and determine what's really pertinent and important to their organization. That's exactly why they conduct materiality assessments. Things are materially different based on their exposures. So certain organizations like in the semiconductor industry, for example, they use a lot of water. Well, retail, not so much, right? So that's why materiality assessments are so important. It really kind of helps leading organizations and really any organization determine where they're going to go. And I think, you know, Sally may be touching on that here in a bit. Leading organizations also look at sustainability as a competitive differentiator. They're scratching their heads going, hey, how do we lead the way? How do we make sure society and our customers and our supply chain uh, see us as leaders in this space uh, and we're in it for the long haul? Leading companies are reporting in such a way with high data integrity. So you may have heard the term greenwashing before in the past. It's organizations who are publishing targets and goals and objectives that are very admirable, mind you, but how are they going to get there is a different a different way. And how are they going to measure it, right? You'll see organizations that normalize their data per square footage of a facility or numbers of employees, et cetera. But good organizations um, are reporting their information and they're publishing that in their sustainability or ESG reports in a highly credible way. And it typically involves third-party validation. I mentioned competitive differentiation a moment ago. So a lot of organizations are thinking about how sustainability can enhance their brand. Uh, you heard Sally, based on some of the research that she's done, suggest that uh, individuals, consumers are making purchasing decisions based on the environmental stewardship or environmental friendliness of that particular product. So, so many organizations are thinking the same way about how their products or their services, how sustainability can enhance their brand and generate cost savings. So uh, again, a lot of the research that Sally and I do, we talk to a lot of different customers, a lot of different industries, healthcare, manufacturing, commercial, government type organizations. And one thing that we hear loud and clear is that while becoming sustainable and green, for example, is very meaningful, it also needs to come with business value and a good return on investment. And the good news is that many of the technologies and services that are out there today actually do that. And then uh, one other point I'll leave you with on the topic of how are leading companies thinking about sustainability. Leading companies are, are, are fidgeting or piloting executive compensation tied to sustainability. So think about performance measurements or bonus structures or whatnot. Uh, ESG and sustainability outputs are making their way into executive compensation targets. So those are just a few tidbits, uh, Scott, that I'll leave you with on that topic. Staying on that topic, you know, with those leading organizations, you know, do you see them, you know, starting to to pivot from that traditional EHS management to more ESG management? So it's a, it's an interesting movement right now. There's not an array of sustainability or ESG experts in industry uh, or organizations. So what's happening is EHS professionals, human resource professionals, other professionals are getting saddled with ESG leadership. So I would say for many EHS professionals, it's a uh, more natural fit. You know, if I had to give you a rough estimate, I would say between 40 and 60% of sustainability or ESG initiatives fall within the EHS spectrum today. So if you look at the global reporting initiative that's broken down by environmental, social, and economic, well, environmental has uh, obviously environmental compliance is in there. It's in the GRI framework. Well, guess what? EHS professionals have been dealing with environmental compliance for quite a long time. Um, when you look at the social aspect, occupational health and safety, customer safety, and security pop. Diversity, equity, inclusion pop in there as well. But I would say with the security, the occupational health and safety, and customer safety, again, that's been in the wheelhouse of EHS professionals for a while. 
When you look at exercises like materiality assessments that ESG or sustainability professionals are performing, and then you look at risk assessments that occupational health and safety folks are performing, there's some overlap in all of this. And let's talk about the term governance for a moment. Well, in environmental health and safety, good leading organizations have internal audit protocols that make sure they do what they say and say what they do. And that's that's governance. So the term governance has lived in EHS for quite a long time. It's also been in the financial world, right? Don't think for a second that financial professionals are not running governance within their organization with their Sarbanes-Oxley audits, et cetera. So I would say that as organizations start to pivot from traditional EHS management to ESG management, you know, I'd say goals are shifting to accommodate the environmental and social aspects of ESG. Those shift into the EHS realm. There's more third-party evaluations that are occurring to boost that data integrity that I mentioned earlier. It seems like everywhere you turn now, you have a third-party provider who's validating the data uh, that's being reported in any facet. EHS professionals are getting more involved in the supply chain and, and customer responses because of the ESG movement. There's more customer and supply chain questionnaires coming down the pike around how do we how do you do this or are you certified to that? And it's it's uh, drawing more administrative work. And I mentioned that that heightened awareness around sustainability because of post-COVID, the lessons that we learned in COVID. So a lot of EHS professionals turned into public health experts during COVID, right, for their organizations. And they're they're also getting saddled with uh, some of the you know sustainability work post-COVID. I would say as organizations continue to pivot from traditional EHS management to, to, to ESG, you're seeing more movements from, I mentioned that data management monster. There's a lot of a lot more data integrity and collection that's happening within ESG. EHS always had some of that, but in many cases they were able to get away with using like Excel to do that. Now they're moving to SaaS solutions and uh, more sophisticated data tracking mechanisms within their enterprise and organization because of all the data that's required to be collected, analyzed, and uh, used to make business decisions. And I would say the last point I would leave you with relative to EHS and, and ESG management is organizations, because of some of the overlaps that I mentioned earlier, uh, integrated management system comes, comes to mind. When you do an internal audit of your facility and organization, and you're traditionally looking at environmental health, safety, and security, how do you integrate those ESG elements in there as well to where you don't have two internal audit teams, right, or three? When you conduct quarterly management reviews or biannual management reviews or environmental health and safety, how do you integrate ESG into that as well? And you're not creating additional management review processes. So I think organizations have to become more efficient and effective and smarter with how they're running their internal operation, their business reviews, really their activities that they're already subject to. So integration is, is the word of the day. Continuing on that thread, uh, Sally, Travis touched on uh, a lot of them there, you know, the EHS professionals role in all this, but I thought, wonder if we could talk a little bit more about that and how the EHS function fits in with the sustainability and ESG efforts. Sure. Yeah. Travis gave me a good lead in to, to answer that question, but in, in my view, sustainability and EHS go together like peanut butter and jelly. So the environmental connection to sustainability is evident. You know, the growing awareness of the threats poised by climate change, the increased demand for sustainability reporting from regulators and investors leads organizations to lean on their EHS leaders to design those programs 
that bring them in line with those long-term environmental expectations. And they've been doing it for a while. Having been in that industry for some time, before coming to Granger, I can remember having binders and spreadsheets all over the place. So I think the tie to uh, sustainability and EHS and the ESG portion of it the idea that we are going to have software to help with all of that data collection is going to do nothing but enhance what goes on with EHS and then transfers over to sustainability. Uh, for the H in EHS, leaders are focused on assessing, measuring, and mitigating risks, and therefore maintaining employee health is fundamental to economic and social sustainability. And then the S, so EHS leaders must manage workplace safety as their primary function as efficiently and as possible. And they have to focus on ensuring that workplace hazards are identified and they are addressed. They have to make safety the top priority and that top priority drives sustainability. And then in order to prevent workplace incidents and enhance sustainability, Organizations are focusing on a more proactive risk management process that gives them the ability to detect and control risk before adverse events occur. So they're being, uh, if, we, if we could use the term, leading indicators are coming into play uh, as opposed to lagging. Um, although we are doing a lot of gathering of data um, and data tends to be a lagging indicator, but we need that in order to go forward. Very well said. That's that's a great way to think about it. And Travis, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but I wonder if we could talk more about, you know, some of that crossover between EHS and ESG and are there shared challenges between the two? For sure. ESG or sustainability professionals are going to encounter the same challenges that any uh, matrix organization like EHS is going to have. HR has the same issues as well. By the way, some of the things that I'm going to share, other matrix organizations have a challenge with. So verification has always been a challenge. Data collection, employee engagement, these are all things that have to get driven by the EHS function and sustainability ESG folks, right? So there has to be verification of the data. There has to be solid data collection mechanisms. We mentioned data integrity earlier. And then, you know, the EHS function where, where you drive really good safety cultures, uh, environmental stewardship type cultures is by engaging the workforce and sustainability is going to be no different in ESG. I mean, it's just a, there's all kinds of opportunities to drive employee engagement. But again, it's a situation where someone is working in a highly matrixed organization typically and having to drive those initiatives through the business or, or the organization it doesn't always have to be a business. So professionals in the space have got to be really sharp at being high, uh, high cross-functional team leaders. They've got to be able to be chameleons and adapt to manufacturing leaders and to other matrix organizations, quality, safety, engineering, you know, security, et cetera. Uh, so very nimble. Sometimes functional ownership can be an issue. So earlier I told you about how environmental compliance shows up under the environmental um umbrella with the global reporting initiative for sustainability. Well, guess what? Uh, EHS professionals have been, and sometimes environmental engineers have been collecting the environmental compliance data, data for years. Suddenly now whose job is it, right? Sustainability and ESG, while it's not new, it is new relative to organizations putting uh, leaders in place and trying to structure and support this line of work. Many organizations have sustainability or ESG leaders at the top level. They don't necessarily have them at the site level, right? That's typically carried out by tiger teams or a group of 
of employees made up, sometimes led by EHS, to help drive some of these sustainability or ESG initiatives. So management by influence comes to mind, right? So uh, sustainability leaders and uh, similar to EHS are going to have to drive a, a lot of leadership in the way that I just described. Again, back to that efficiency issue, efficiency and effectiveness. How does the risk assessment process overlap with materiality assessment? Do you do them separately or do you do them in, in conjunction? I mentioned the shared resources between EHS and site sustainability. So sometimes resource constraints. Uh, at the end of the day, sustainability EHS are typically operating expenses in a business. So it's it's not like they're it's not like organizations are typically throwing more resources towards these issues. Sometimes you just have to really utilize a shared resource model, become more efficient as you can. But I would say that, you know, the efficiencies between those two functions, EHS and ESG, it's very critical to get together, draw value stream maps, look at the overlap that exists, determine who's going to do what. So maybe, maybe develop a racy chart for accountability and ownership, but do whatever you can to drive out to achieve the objectives of the organization in these spaces but do so in a way that minimizes organizational waste. So Scott, I'd, I'd like to add a little bit to that and it, you know, shared challenges. So EHS has always had the challenge of regulatory oversight. What, what do the regulations require us to do? And within ESG, with the change now from the SEC and moving towards more regulatory guidance, they are saying, yes, Organizations have set goals uh, to reduce, you know, greenhouse gas emissions by this, et cetera. But what actions are actually being taken? You've set the goal. Now what is happening? So I see that somewhat of a shared challenge between EHS and ESG is that they both now have that regulatory oversight that requires action and not just words. Right. That's important to remember. And Travis, you talked about uh, opportunities there, you know, as with, with any challenges come opportunities as well. So what are the biggest operational opportunities you're seeing for organizations to consider becoming more sustainable? Yeah, great question. And love, love the operational type question too. And some of the answers that I'll give you may sound like things that you could even do in your own personal home. Earlier, I mentioned that the way that at least we think about sustainability is the environmental, social, and economic, right? Those three areas. But let's just focus on environmental sustainability for purposes of this discussion. And I'll give you a list of few facts here that I've jotted down and, and share those with you and then talk about some pragmatic ways that uh, organizations can deploy things that not only help them with improving their sustainability outcomes, but also saving money along the way. So... For example, and so we'll talk in terms of energy and waste and air quality and water. I'll probably just pick on energy and water. But for example, according to the U.S. Department of Energy, Scott, did you realize that HVAC systems contribute to about 35% of a building's energy on average? That's a lot, right? So if you're scratching your head, you're going, where do I start? You know, you can go off and buy renewable energy sources and do some other creative things that are out there. But I would say go look at your current operations, your HVAC system, and make sure that it's doing its job, right? Make sure that it's preventing heat or cold from escaping buildings, right? Make sure that the equipment is updated and that there's proper airflow. Because a reminder that I would give you is during COVID, a lot of HVAC systems were ramped up and sent at their max capacity to increase ventilation. Well, that also put a, put a big draw on energy. So I would say... 
one thing that any organization or household could do is check out their HVAC system due to its energy draw. Another interesting statistic, according to the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory and the U.S. Department of Energy, approximately 68% of all energy produced in the U.S. ends up being wasted. So there's just tremendous opportunities to, to look at your different alternative energy sources. Think of like solar, for example. So let's see, per the U.S. Department of Energy, dramatic energy and cost savings can be achieved in motor systems by applying best energy management practices. Solar supplies nearly 3% of U.S. electricity generation, and there's estimates that 4% in 2023, 46% of all new generating capacity in 2021 came from solar. So the point I'm trying to make here is maybe take a, solar has been around for a while. When you show up at, at uh, local hardware stores, you're going to see the opportunity to reduce the production of greenhouse gas by using clean energy and equipment that consumes less energy. So solar power, taking a look at the current motor systems. And if, you have, if you're dealing with factories or manufacturing firms or places that use, use uh, a lot of AC motors, gosh, make sure that you're looking at the most efficient motors that, that you could put in place to help use less energy. The motor drives and speed controls. Yeah, so that's, that's what I would leave you with solar. And then I guess from a water perspective, one other last statistic I will share is that 70% of the Earth's surface is covered by water. Less than 1% is available for human use. So water managers in at least 40 states expect local, statewide, and regional water shortages to occur over the next couple of years. So great. What can you do? Well, you can ensure, one, that you're doing everything you can in your home or in your organization to reduce water usage. Faucets, toilets, you know, bathtubs, other types of water fixtures that can be installed to help uh, reduce the usage. Um, and then and then you think about like measurement overall. One of the first places that you can start with understanding water usage, you, you can't you can't manage what you don't know. So you have to be able to measure it. So I would just say, you know, look at some flow meters, look at some opportunities to actually measure your current usage, work with your local water utilities to see if there's other programs out there to help uh, measure and reduce water usage. So those are some things that I would leave you with, but I think they're fairly pragmatic. I would start with looking at your HVAC system and, and maybe look at the opportunity to install solar. Great, uh, great tips. Now, uh, something you, you mentioned earlier, Travis, was a materiality assessment. I'm curious, I'd like to learn more about that and you know how that influences organization sustainability uh, decisions. So Sally, I wonder if we could kind of dive into that a little more. Sure. Um, it's really where everything starts. And Travis mentioned before the GRI, the Global Reporting Initiative, and I'm going to go back to them and look at their materiality definition. And they say it's those topics that have a direct or indirect impact on an organization's ability to create, preserve, or erode economic, environmental, and social value for itself and its stakeholders and society at large. So what is a materiality assessment? Well, it's a method that's used to identify and prioritize issues that are most important to an organization. And after those issues are identified, they're then analyzed using two different lenses, if you will. Uh, one is what's the potential impact of each issue on the organization. And the other is how important is each issue to our stakeholders. And as a result of those lenses, then you get a visual matrix of which issues should be prioritized based on their importance 
to an organization's success and expectations. So they give us that opportunity to analyze our business risks and opportunities and readjust if we need to, and a chance to understand where organizations are creating or reducing value for society. So it allows organizations to decide on what issues to focus on and to invest time in. So in the spring of 2021, Granger did a materiality assessment and we had three parts to it. First, we developed a universal set of topics through benchmarking, benchmarking, excuse me. We then engaged management and stakeholders to look at those. And then we did an analysis on what they were telling us. And what we learned is we were able to categorize our material topics into three areas. Continue doing, focus resources and monitor. And then using the focus resources category, we identified four core priority areas in the near term. The first is we need to help our customers with their sustainability solutions. The second internal to Granger is diversity, equity, and inclusion. The third is energy emissions. So from within Granger, within our corporate real estate, we need to do better on our energy and our emissions. We need to focus on that. And then supply diversity was fourth. And so those are the four that we are driven by at this point. Going back to the uh, EHS function a little bit and how it ties in with all this, I wonder, Travis, can you talk a little bit about you know how EHS professionals should start the conversation about sustainability at their organization? Yeah, within their organizations, I would say one of the first tips is they should first rely on the definition of sustainability before engaging in that discussion. So not everyone is on the same page with environmental, social, and economic, for example. So it's important to kind of talk about it in the lens that the organization would like to discuss it. But I think EHS professionals are in a position of education to be able to share that broader lens because many folks think that, oh, you know what? I don't work in engineering or manufacturing or this, it doesn't apply to me. No, it applies to everyone if you define it the right way. So first getting grounded in the discussion. And then, you know, when, when interacting with customers, internal stakeholders, they should share the synergies with how the EHS function contributes to, you know, key sustainability or ESG elements. So, uh, you know, connecting the dots, I guess, would be my answer to that. And, you know, depending upon the course of the conversation, if depends on who you're talking to, they, most, most people within the organization have goals and objectives or things that they're trying to achieve. So I think, you know, EHS and really ESG or sustainability leaders are in a position to connect the dots between what they're working on and trying to achieve. Maybe it's cost-saving targets. Maybe it's, maybe it is environmental footprint reduction, who knows, but you can help connect those dots with those leaders within the business. And, uh, you know, I think that's how the conversation should go. Okay. Uh, any, uh, any final thoughts you, uh, you both would like to share about uh, sustainability, ESG, and the, the safety professionals uh, role in helping organizations become more sustainable? I would say that this is a moving space. Uh, even the standards committees continue to evolve. So the sustainability standards accounting boards, SASB, and the global report initiative, they're still in the process of merging. Organizations are on different, they're at different maturity levels or their journey and sustainability. So it's never too late to start and it's, and you can always get better. 
And I would just say that for EHS professionals, it's, it represents a great opportunity to engage in professional development, learn more, and perhaps take on additional responsibility uh, that can help improve uh, organizational and outcomes, including EHS uh, and other operate, operational outcomes as well. Sally, anything that you'd like to add? Sure, I would uh, like to say that when we think about sustainability today, it goes back to, it's been here for more than 50 years. In fact, it's been here since the 1800s when we first had the Industrial Revolution. But the real, if we could call present day 50 years, the book about Silent Spring, about DDT, started it all. And from that, we went to the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act. And, you know, people started to be more aware. And now in today's world, we have employees whose sustainability is top of mind, you know, especially the millennials. And drive, you know, I guess I'd just like to say sustainability is here to stay. And it's going to be a driving force. And the driving force behind sustainability are our EHS professionals. That's a great note to end on. Well, uh, Sally, Travis, thank you so much again for coming on. You know, these these are such important issues and will continue to be so uh, into the future. So I really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing how EHS professionals can have an impact. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity and uh, thanks for the conversation, Sally and Scott. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org. And follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.